it's Tuesday, so you know what that means. It's Television Tuesday. Spirekins Podcast, where we talk about new TV shows. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjour, and what's up? Hope all of you are doing good out there in TV land, and I hope you're excited to hear about our thoughts about some of the newest TV shows. Like I said, I'm your host, Zan, and I am excited to talk about all these really cool TV shows. Now, before I forget... If you want to check out any of our earlier episodes, you can check them out at www.spirekin.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and various other social media sites. And if you want to email me personally, you can at zan, that's X-A-N, at spirekin.com, or tweet me at spirekin. Remember to like and subscribe. And one final thing, as usual, we're going to have a first section, which is going to be my initial thoughts about the TV series. And then after the music... That is our spoiler section where we spoil a lot of stuff about the newest and latest TV shows. So if you haven't watched the episodes, stop when the music starts. So let's get to it, shall we? Because I'm excited because we have a lot to talk about because we have a bunch of premieres. And then to top it off, we also have something really cool to talk about, which is something I was kind of depressed about. But let's start off in the beginning because we go in order. And the first show we're talking about is the third episode of season one of The Masked dancer so episode three titled group b playoffs those masks don't lie is the uh semifinals for mass singer before the playoffs now we had four dancers we had the zebra the cotton candy the moth and the sloth and i've got to say i'm really digging the sloth and cotton candy i hate the design of but it was pretty unique i still don't understand the premise for this show i really don't because it's not like dancing with the stars where it's here's your set dance it's just they dance to their own beat there's no control over it. it's not they're singing a specific song or they're doing something it's just they're dancing and the ones who can't dance you could see they can't dance so will this get a lot of mileage i'm not entirely sure i know mass singer will this one it's a fun novelty for now that's this so now let's get into the a premiere for this season this is the second season of prodigal son now um if you were are not familiar with prodigal son we talked about this earlier in the podcast but let's actually get to it so prodigal son is the story of malcolm bright who is a disgraced former fbi profiler who's now consulting for the nypd now He has a unique style of profiling. He's able to get in the head of serial killers and figure it out. And the reason for this is because he was groomed to be a serial killer by his father, uh, Dr. Martin Whitley, uh, played by Michael Sheen, who is a serial killer. He's currently incarcerated in an asylum after committing 23 murders, but at the end of last season he was put into Rikers Island because of a double cross. However, that's besides the point. The main thing is that this show is about Malcolm and his associates at the NYPD solving murders done by serial killers. There are overarching plots. Last season, it dealt with a junkyard killer. And then there was this overarching big bad who had something on Martin. Whole thing. But last season ended with a major cliffhanger. Now, this is season two, episode one, entitled... It's all in the execution directed by Antonio Negrette, and it takes place six months later. Things have calmed down, but the world has kept spinning and going on. And the nice thing is that this takes place in our world a bit. So COVID-19 has happened, 
and a lot of the other incidents have occurred. So we're seeing repercussions of that. And uh, the whole thing is that one, Martin is trying to get back in touch with his son now that he's in back in his home, you could say, of the asylum as opposed to Riker Island. You have Martin dealing with, uh, well, some new issues in his new home. But let's get to Malcolm. Malcolm, six months, he's dealing with the fallout from what happened at the end of season one. And he is dealing with it not that healthy. He's trying. His family is staying the same. His surrogate father, Gil, is healing up from, again, events from the end of last season. And so someone else has taken charge. And we're seeing how someone who's inexperienced is dealing with all the pressures of being now the boss of major crime. Now, the crime for the episode was that there was a lady who was found dead outside of a house. She's a recent millionaire, and she's been decapitated, but they put the head back together, so it was a smooth, clean cut. Now they have to figure out what they did it with, why they did it, and what's going on. And it's a complete trip what happens. Lots of craziness. And we have lots of great characters in this, and it's good to see everybody back. Uh, standout performance by Keiko Agonia is Dr. Edrisa Tanaka, who it's cool seeing her when she was in Gilmore Girls. She was uh, Rory's best friend, and now she is a creepy medical examiner who we find out she's into some equally new things. Because last season we know she's into dead bodies and into stuff like that, but now we find she has some interesting stuff she's into. Uh, we'll talk about that in the spoilers. So this show overall is a great procedural if you like blacklist you're going to enjoy this and it's one which i'm having a blast watching it's just seeing the dynamic at, between uh tom Payne and michael sheen as father and son it's so I gotta say it's invigorating for what it is also seeing lou diamond phillips playing a good guy is always a plus so that is prodigal son now let's get to the show which Greta constantly bounces back and forth between, and I have been trying to really like and love, even though it's starting to let me down. We're talking about The Stand. Episode 5, Fear and Loathing in New Vegas. Now, this is directed by Chris Fisher, and this does something a little bit different. We finally get to see what is going on on the enemy side of things. As you may or may not know, all of the their people have been broken into two groups you have the group that's in boulder which is our main cast and now we get to see the individuals in new vegas or so we thought it sounds like this is what they're going to do however they spend in an hour episode maybe 12 minutes with these characters and the rest of the time is back in boulder focusing on one character in particular um you got three plot plots going on you have um uh, a dinner party at Stu and franny's while larry is committing some minor crimes to discover some truth he's being an investigator you have uh the story arc in new vegas with what's going on with that and then you have a little bit of teasing with what's going on with mother abigail so those are the three plots and that first plot also has to deal also with Harold going on with what's going on with him, especially because last episode, how that ended. And I've got to say, I was very excited for this episode because when I read the title and I saw the photos, I really was excited to see how this would go. And I've got to say, 
this one let me down. It's not as bad as it could have been, but the whole thing is we're wanting to see how the world of Randall Flagg is, how his kingdom is, and get into it and understand the characters. And there are so many divisive characters in this series. Uh, one of the most popular characters is Lloyd. Lloyd is Randall Flagg's uh, right-hand man. He is the Nick to Mother Abigail. He's his support. And in the novel and in the original TV series, Lloyd starts off as kind of bumbling, but he comes into his own and he's strong and pat, you know, and, and finds his niche. He's in charge. In this one, the actor playing Lloyd comes across as an imbecile who's everyone's like, oh, it's a famous Lloyd Hendridge. It's a famous Lloyd Hendridge. And you, yes, the guy who's here, the VIP, and he's acting like an idiot. Dancing around, screaming, snorting coke. He's not a figure that like you can buy as being in charge. He's at best a pawn, a weak pawn, and not someone who can control everything. They really dropped the ball with that casting. I mean, when we first met him, I was intrigued by him. Him being in the prison, and this is minor spoilers, but we're not getting into it, but this episode really does not do him service. The main focus of this episode, to be honest with you, is more Harold BS. And I gotta say, for a book with so many characters, you're disservicing so many of them just to give this one character spotlight. And it's a little frustrating. I like all the casting, except for except for Lloyd. I even have no problem with um, the Ralph being replaced by Ray. We'll talk more in the spoiler section, but I gotta say, I'm a little... This episode was my least favorite episode of the series, even though this one should have been a really cool episode. It does set up some things, and we have a little bit more random flag in this episode, but it's just not a great... It's not a great episode. Anyway, so now let's get to the show, which I should be talking about two episodes, but I'm only going to talk about one because I know Greta really wants to talk about the show. And we're talking about... uh. WandaVision, WandaVision, WandaVision. Yes, WandaVision, the long-awaited MCU TV show that's on Disney+. And there's been so much hype about this show. Everyone's been very excited for it. Now, the showrunner is Jock Schaefer, and this is taking place after Endgame. Now, if you haven't watched Endgame, I'm going to spoil it a little bit. That ended where Vision is dead and Wanda is alive. And how this series opens up is it's like an old TV show. And it's the first episode is titled Film Before a Live Studio Audience. It's directed by Matt Shakeman. And it is an, like a Dick Van Dyke episode. If you're not familiar with Dick Van Dyke, it's a show from the 50s, which was single camera. You had a laugh track, and they just moved from camera. It's one camera that would follow you around and track you. And it's this show is that. It's just very stationary camera, just, and it's parodying that. And it just feels like Wanda and Vision come to Newtown, and some shenanigans are going to occur. And like most TV shows, it's some weird, wacky thing happens, and they have to finish it in 30 minutes. And fun fact, the episode was 30 minutes long, and it, it was also 4 by 3 ratio. So it looked like an old TV show, and the, the colors, the grains, and the way that Elizabeth... Olsen and Paul Bettany were talking is very 
it's that Lucille Ball, Dick Van Dyke timing, and it fits so well. Now, like I said, the first episode has to deal with uh, they've moved into town, and apparently there's a confusion because on the calendar there is a symbol. What does it mean? Is it an anniversary? Is it a birthday? Or is it the fact that the boss is coming over for dinner? You don't know. The first episode doesn't really do, it doesn't do much to explain what's going on. It throws you in there. It's just very clever, like, here's Wanda and Vision. They just got married and they're going to a new town. And it's them dealing with that. They meet a wacky neighbor and it feels like an old TV show. And it's a little unusual. There's, at the end of the episode, something happens, which I'll go into in spoilers. And you could see that there's something going on. Something's not right. But you're not entirely sure. A lot of people have been quitting on the show because they didn't understand what's going on. I do understand, especially with the character. Again, we'll talk about this in spoilers. But anyway, so this show I'm excited for. I love the fact that we got two episodes for the first week. Next week we have another episode. Uh, Next week I'm going to cover two and three. I figured it change things up as opposed to just doing episode one because I want to deep dive into this a little bit and we're going to talk about that. So, anyway, that is a WandaVision. Definitely worth watching. and Definitely worth checking out, especially if you're a Marvel fan. So now let's get into the TV show, which infuriates me even though I am so kind of like I'm stuck watching it. We're talking about this, The Watch based on Terry Pratchett's series of novels, The Night Watch. This is the fourth episode of season one and it is called Twilight Canyons. Directed by Brian Kelly. And this one is a kind of weird, hilarious race against time where everyone's trying to get a hold of a magic sword that controls dragons and turns out that it might be in an old folks' home. So uh, you have our villain, Carcer, and his assistant, Wands, breaking in there. And then you have the Night Watch going in there as well. What happens? Will there be dancing? Is it crazy? Yes, it is. Um, The best thing about this episode is there are so many loving references and mementos to the disc world that it fits so well and you understand it and it's like it's not completely reverent yes it's not a a perfect adaptation but it shows that they care about the characters they care about the world and they take reference and they explain so many little things and the end of the episode actually puts something into perspective that i never thought of that works so well to make that this series works in cohesion with the book series while being its own thing. Uh, the cast is great. You have always... Uh, I gotta admit, the actor playing Sam Vimes, at first I was like, this guy's an imbecile, I don't like him. But I'm starting to get used to him, and I find him to be a nice, refreshing change of pace for Sam. Uh, Carrot, he's still Carrot. I'm just... He's becoming the guy who who knows what's going on and no one else gets it. And that trope is getting a little frustrating because there are more competent officers. Uh, Angua is still great. Um, This episode definitely, I have to admit, was Cheery's um, moment because it was all about Cheery. With all Cheery being the one that set things up and was explaining things and was just being there. And I... I'm not hating on Cheery as much as I used to. I still am pissed off that Cheery's not a dwarf, but whatever. And um, I gotta say, there's three scene-stealing moments that had Greta and I laughing our butts off. So anyway, so The Watch, 
it's getting better. But four episodes in, getting better. But yeah. So now, finally, let's get to the last show of the week. And we're talking about Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Season 2, Episode 2, Zoe's Extraordinary Distraction, directed by Anya Adams. And Season 2 is starting up really great. After that first episode, we now that Zoe, we now know that Zoe has her own new position in the company. And now she has some new subordinates, including one guy who did not like her, but now is like working with her. We're talking about Leaf, who now has to play boss for a bunch of guys and dealing with that insanity. Uh, you have issues going on between Max and Mo and their new venture. And then you have Emily, um, who is Zoe's sister-in-law, who's a new mom, and they are dealing with baby issues. You know, the baby is around and her very unreliable sister has come to visit so insanity has occurred uh this episode oh and we had to talk about the main thing while this is all going on zoe's also trying to she's decided on max a little spoiler from last episode but but she's now trying to find time to get that nookie on and things are not working out so that is the uh episode synopsis and i've got to say it's a stressful episode it's a good episode, but it's very stressful because all the things going on in it. Uh, the you have the, the issues between Max and Mo. Both actors doing a great job playing the characters. Um, Leaf having to learn that being a boss is not just being everybody's friend is a nice touch. Uh, the whole story arc with Emily, who I felt did not have much of a sto- of a character development last season. I like that we're getting more character development with her, and she's being a little bit better now. I don't know where it's going to go, but who knows. The other thing is the songs episode. There were some memorable ones and one that will never make me uh, be just want to watch it again. Like there's one song which I never will look at the same again. And that's Take Me Out to the Ball Game. You'll know. So Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist 2. Not as strong as the first episode, but still pretty funny. So those are our shows that we're talking about this week. It will... And I got to say, next week, we've got two new shows that we're going to be talking about. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the Netflix series Lupin. Um, and as Lupin the, Lupin the Third fan, it's going to be weird seeing someone who's emulating the original Arsene Lupin, the gentleman thief, in a French drama. See how that goes. And also, we have Snowpiercer, season two. And this is that's the first show we were talking about with Snowpiercer. So I'm a little excited to talk about it and also a little horrified. I don't know what's happened because especially with that cliffhanger from last season when uh, Mr. Wilson has returned and our very famous and favorite concierge is currently freezing to death. Where will that go? We have to wait for next episode. So uh, if you want us to stop talking about one of these TV shows... Email me, zanspirekin.com, or tweet me at Spirekin. Let me know what shows you like us talking about, which ones you want us to avoid. Uh, I think that's it for this episode. I am your host, Zan. I'm Gonsville. I'll catch you guys next time. Remember to like and subscribe. And stay tuned for the spoiler section after the music. See you guys later.
time. Cool, so let's get to the actual spoilers at hand. And I gotta say, I am kind of excited to talk about some of these spoilers because there's some great things to talk about, especially with WandaVision. But as usual, let's go in reverse order. So first, starting off with Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So yeah, officially Zoe is now the boss of of level four of spark point and things have gone completely crazy also she has officially said that she's chosen max right now and she wants nookie but at first she tries doing it at her parents house which if you've ever had a girlfriend or boyfriend at a parents house when you try to hook up it's really awkward when they walk in the room so she needs to find time for them to get together gets even more worse when they go to her old apartment and someone is singing a song that's bothering her um, you have Max going into his new venture, which is he's making a restaurant that serves food from takeout places, which is kind of insane. The concept, I don't know, it's, it's, it's TV show logic, but whatever. So uh, they're working well together, and then suddenly when he offers a contract for them to be together, things don't work out, and Mo kind of goes crazy, doesn't want to deal with it. Uh, and like I said, Leaf is now second in command on the fourth floor and zoe is kind of said you're in charge now but what the hell are you doing with the guys because every time she's looking at them they're playing a stupid game like one is nut punch and the other one is drink all the coffee coffee ink and it's like well they're acting like a frat so leaf has to get his shit together and then like i said in the earlier part emily is having problems because they haven't slept in a while and her sister has shown up to fix things and give her a break but her sister is the wild child is the one who doesn't take responsibility for stuff is the is a crazy person so she has to deal with that stress while her sister's trying to help but not really helping her idea of help is a little different and she needs some help like her idea of help is oh why don't we get her a uh, sweetest massage that'll help her out you know kind of crazy uh I think the highlight of the moment is when things start getting better and Zoe officially has uh, her and Max time. And he's like, okay, I know you hear heart songs. So I've, I've, I've talked to a very open-minded therapist and I have an idea. I'm gonna th- I'll think of one song and that'll be it. And so they're getting ready to have, you know, have a, mo- a romantic moment. And you just see him start singing, take me out to the ball game while he's getting ready for stuff. And it's just really awkward. And then it starts out really good. And then she starts kissing him. And then he just switches to close your eyes, make a wish, and turn out the candlelights. I can't sing anymore because I'll get sued. But he starts singing, I'll make love to you. Then switching back to, uh, and it's one, two, three. And it just goes back and forth between the two. And it's awkward and funny soon because Zoe's so confused. And then eventually she gets an idea of how to do it, which works in a really strange way, but whatever. It's a weird show about a girl who can read people's inner thoughts. Um, and everything gets resolved. Um, Greta called it immediately when, uh, in the beginning of the episode, Zoe runs into an elevator because she's going to go home. And there's a bunch of people from level five, a bunch of female programmers. And she's like, they're going to switch some of them out. And that's how the episode ends where... Leaf actually stands up to his programmers and said, listen, we're going to have some changes. And then we see five people we never knew be kicked out for the new female programmers. And the current programmers who are still on the level besides Leaf are Tobin, uh, because Tobin is Leaf's best friend. And then you have the new guy, George. So besides that, that is how that goes. And this season is okay. I'm liking this season. However, and I like that Zoe's now in her own moment and things are going well. Also, Simon gets a promotion 
because reasons. So he's now getting promoted to be Zoe's equal. So that's going to cause problems. It feels like this season doesn't have the heart that season one had, especially with the fact that we lost um, her dad, who was, which was a great sequence. You know, Peter Gallagher as Mitch was great and he did such a great job with this character and i hope that he just shows up a little more as videos or something because he was such a good influence on her i mean even if he's in the next episode which is called zoe's extraordinary dreams maybe he'll show up there i think that it's not good for him not to be in this show anyway so overall out of our rating system i have to give zoe's extraordinary playlist episode two zoe's extraordinary uh or, sorry, Season 2, Episode 2, Zoe's Extraordinary Distraction. Uh, worth watching once, then forget about it. It's okay. So now, let's get to the one that I am excited to talk about. The Watch. And holy shit, there were so many little Easter eggs. So many Easter eggs. Like the fact that the PA system in Twilight Canyon said, uh, We're looking for Cohen the Barbarian. Cohen the Barbarian. I was like, yes! Reference to Cohen the Barbarian. And then... Uh, we had the auditors show up. The main bad guys are the auditors. Uh, and I love the fact that the auditors say, this version of the disc. And it's like, okay. So this is the same auditors who have appeared in the book series, but they're saying that they couldn't do it on the book series, so they're going to a different universe to fuck with things because they hate life. And this makes so much more sense. It's, this didn't work, so we'll try a different universe. I'm happy with that. Spoilers. And, but... Let's get to the beginning of the episode. So the episode opens up where now we know they have to get a hold of the sword, Gawain, which is going to make things good. So they have to look for where it is. And after a very cool fight sequence in a bar called Igor with an Igor, they finally introduced the, the race known as Igors in the Discworld. And it was cool to see them. Now, for those of you who don't know, Igors are henches from the disc world that you hire. They all have the same name, Igor, and they all have humps on their back, and they all have some like, yes, master. They have to learn how to say that. That's their shtick. And it's cool to see an Igor as a bartender, and he and he's gets his ass kicked. And I love seeing uh, uh, Sybil Ramkin just abuse him with his prosthetic arm. And then you find out where they're going, which is Twilight Canyon. And that, that's another thing, Twilight Canyon, which was originally going to be one of the books he was going to write after the Shepherd's End before he died because he had designed it as Twilight Canyon is a retirement home in the disc, which deals with mental illness. And for Terry Pratchett, the creator of the Disc World series and of the Night Watch, he died of uh, Alzheimer's and the mind and all of that was something which weighed on him heavily. So the fact that they respected and used that, I do enjoy. I do think that's a nice homage. And when uh, once and uh, Carcer show up, I love it. They say, oh, Michelle, is that you? It's like, no, no, no. No, we're not Michelle. Oh, do you want tea, Michelle? And you're like, wait a minute, who's Michelle? And they, they find the former assassin who's gone crazy. Uh, I do like the fact that the whole, she wrote, drew her entire history on the walls. We had that happen. And then they end up going back. And the watch ends up showing up at Twilight uh, Canyon. And same shtick happens. They show up. Uh, you find the former sergeant who Vimes protected as a child is now at the is at the uh, retirement home. And he's the one that informed the watch that Carcer was there. And 
I gotta say, that was a nice little callback to the first episode, and more importantly, gives Sam Vimes a little more uh, credence in uh, the passing of the torch is more official. I like that. I do really enjoy that aspect of it. Um, seeing Death show up, and he's actually Michelle, that Death is Michelle, and how Carrot sees him and he's not afraid and it's this awkward situation of Carrot like it's like it's gotta be hard right he's like you know you won't believe me no one understands he's like no you work so hard and he's like you're not afraid of me no 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 you, you you're a part of life and then Death just being like you wanna get a drink sometime and Carrot's like what he's like oh no no never mind never mind never mind don't worry about it <laughs> it's a fun little awkward sequence and now the standout moment the scene that made me laugh the most is that so Vimes found what's the MacGuffin. He's going to save the day, but he's going to have a fight in the retirement center with Carcer. They show up, they start to fight, and then suddenly you hear, passive-aggressive ward activated. No fighting allowed. And then you just see Carcer and Vimes having to dance together because the spell makes everybody dance, and then you just see a huge dance party, and everybody who's fighting is just dancing together. And to wake me up before you go, go, oh, Greta was laughing so hard with that, she really was. Um, so we had that, so, but overall, they, they win. Uh, as Carcer's kind of realizing that it wasn't Vimes' fault, he's gonna apologize to Vimes, he gets sucked up by the auditors who pretty much tell him straight up if you reveal our presence i'm going to we're going to kill you and why shouldn't we kill you and he's like i'm the one who could help you so they give him a second chance but if he fails they're going to kill him so there's that uh they get the sword gawain and gawain talks to people who are in love also carcer also uh was asked about the future timeline that vime saw in his mind and he couldn't answer so a lot of plots and things are set up and uh, I didn't even go over the fact that uh, the librarian has shown up again. He's looking more like an orangutan than he did last time. Kind of sad. That happened. And um, I think that was... Yeah, that is the episode. And this one is uh, worth watching once. It's a very fun episode. I do think that the dance sequence should be like on repeat because it's so ridiculous and so funny because you have this fight, this great fight sequence set and ready to go and then everyone drops their weapons and they start having to like actually dance with each other and it's not like a dance fight it's they're dancing in tandem they're dancing together like holding hands and stuff and it's so funny and then it zooms into death stuck dancing around too so great highlight great show i really am enjoying this show i'm able to separate it from the original series so that is good so now let's get to actually the first episode of WandaVision. WandaVision, one WandaVision. And I kind of spoiled a lot in the last part, but I'm going to go more in depth into what's actually going on. Now, for those of you who've never read comics and only know the, um, the MCU, Wanda Maximoff is considered one of the most powerful characters in the MCU. She is able to rewrite reality with chaos magic. She doesn't just do hex powers like her manipulation. She can actually rewrite reality. And this show shows her doing that. Because the fact that no one remembers how they got there. They don't remember what day it is. They just know they're here. What's going on? And everybody's on a loop. Like Vision knows something is up, but he keeps forgetting about it. Uh, the simple fact that 
when he asks at his job, what do we do? He's like, uh, do we do this? No. Do we do this? No. Well, what do we do then? Well, you're the best at what, what we do. It's like, okay. And Wanda just being like, it's everything's fine. Everything's great. And then we have the weird nosy neighbor, which is the typical thing from most TV shows. Talk about Agnes, the nosy neighbor played by uh, Catherine Hine, who she's so weird. And I think, I want to say Agnes is actually Agatha Hart. Hartgrave, who is Wanda Maximoff's magic teacher, which would be a nice twist to it. Not sure. Getting a little bit of a vibe of that, though. But I like that she shows up, and then they're talking about, oh, well, single gal like you. He's like, I'm not single. I'm married to a human man. A man. A human man. Oh, good. Well, what about when you have children? She brings up children rather early. Which, again, in the comic books, Wanda and Vision end up getting married, and they end up having kids because Wanda wanted kids and she actually magics them into existence. Now, these kids are actually, they still exist in the Marvel Universe. One of them is named Wiccan and the other one, uh, he's a speedster like um, his uncle. So, could be, if they have twins, this is definitely where it's going. But the episode just is a sitcom of the boss is coming over for dinner, but Wanda thinks it's actually their anniversary. So they come to the door and Wanda's dressed all sexy and nice. And she's, Oh no, what happened? And then it becomes a whole, we have to make food, but she can't make food, but she will make food, but this happens and that happens. And then she can't make dinner. So she's going to use magic to make dinner, but magic doesn't work out. It's very bewitched. And the episode ends. Uh, One of the most pivotal moments of the episode is that when uh, Vision's boss starts asking them how they met and where have they been, start asking the questions, he starts choking. And you hear a bit of a laugh track, and you see his wife, who's played by um, uh, Deborah Jo Rupp, the mom from that 70s show, laughing like, oh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Like saying, stop it. Stop it. And you see... Like she's smiling, but you see in her eyes kind of fear, like, please stop it. And then Wanda kind of breaks camera and says, Vision, help him. And the mood changes for a second. And then afterwards, laugh track. Oh, everything's fine. I guess I I had too much to eat. We'll talk about that promotion tomorrow. And they walk off. So something is going on, and we know Wanda is probably behind it. Vision doesn't know they're trapped there. Um, two other points are one, there's a commercial break where they actually have a commercial advertising, a Stark Industries Toastmate 2000 toaster. And they talk about, oh, you want to toast, do this. And then as they're talking, they're just staying there watching. And it's a black and white episode completely, except for when the toaster is going off, when they turn it on, it sounds like a repulsor blast or the sound that a Stark bomb makes. And they see the light blinking and blinking and blinking and blinking. And then you see, forget the past. This is your future. Stark Industries. And this got me thinking to one of the earlier statements that Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff said. She said that when they were children in Sokovia, they were hiding. Their parents got killed and they were hiding in a bathtub for two days next to a Stark bomb, which was blinking, but didn't go off. So I'm curious if the toaster was representing the Stark bomb that didn't go off. I'm very intrigued and wondering what is going on with that. I got to see. But there's a couple other little Easter eggs here and there. Like, But 
I'm I'm liking the episode. I love how Elizabeth Olsen, when she's not like when she was that one besides the one creepy scene, she acts like the typical I'm a typical American. Like she watched sitcoms and like that typical sitcom mom, that wife. And you had Paul Bettany acting as the typical goofy uh Dick Van Dyke guy who's kinda clumsy, but he's he loves his wife and he does the best he can. I am I don't know. I not much happened. This was a quick thirty minute episode, like an old TV show. It was done really fast, and there was a lot of other little things which I want to post in a separate podcast. However, I want to see more and I want to see what's going on. Now, like I said, I'm gonna do it so next episode is when we talk about WandaVision episode two and three. We'll talk about that then. Cause I because I think that might work a little better, especially with any cohesion. But anyway, so this one is is watch it now. Uh, borrow or sorry, borrow friends' account password for their streaming service and watch it. It's really cool. That's that one. All right. So now let's get to the show which let me down. The Stand. Oh, Stand, Stand, Stand. Why would you do that? Why would you let me down like this? So, in this episode, the it opens up in New Vegas where you have Lloyd and Joni, the girl who tried to shoot uh, Tom and Nick, the nympho girl. Now he's her girlfriend. And it turns out that Dana has been asking questions. She's working at the Hoover Dam. But the big man wants to talk to her but first they're going to show her a good time, which is kind of part of what was going on in the stand book. But she becomes Lloyd's girlfriend. We don't see that, though. Uh, it's Well, we see them kind of make out a little bit, but it's not like a major thing. It's like his main girlfriend is uh, Julie, the girl. And we see him in actually Vegas. Vegas is all crazy. It's got a gladiator pit. People are doing coke and drugs and Lloyd is looking like a pimp. Like literally he looks like a he looks like a bad seventies pimp. And he's trying to be cool, like I know everything, I know everybody, and all be well. And there's gladiator pits and everyone loves him. And Julie essentially is his his girlfriend, but whenever he tries to get frisky with her, she just mentions Mr. Flag, so he goes soft. And it just did not feel like he didn't feel like a great part of the episode. Like this is supposed to be the introduction of new Vegas and how it is. And then going back to the book, and I know I keep going back and forth, but the, the novel explained it like it's a totalitarian regime. A guy got crucified for doing drugs. This place is all about drugs and in whatever you want, uh, drugs, fighting, um, insane items, doing just crazy things, breaking in, I mean, yeah, they have control, but it's all just partying. You love to have sex. You love to do drugs. You love to gamble. You love to have fun. This is the place to be. And it doesn't feel like a community that should be thriving. It doesn't. It feels small and weird. And it's like got three sets. It's just got Lloyd's bedroom, then the, um, I don't want to say the promenade, but it's like the pool area where there's the gladiatorial pits. And then you have Flag's office. That's it. And then, of course, we're damned. There's no other elements of it. It doesn't feel like a lived world. It feels like this is a set. Now, we're going to stick with the storyline. So it ends up where one in the... Uh, oh, 
before I forget, my favorite character does show up in the employment office and he tells him for it up. He's like, my name is Tom Collins. I'm 31 years old, uh, 41 years old. I am developmentally delayed, but I am a strong worker. Who the fuck are you? What are you doing here? Hello, my name's Tom Collins. I can't read. I'm looking for... It's like, make him a slave. He's like, Mr. Flag says that anyone who shows up doesn't have to... Isn't a slave. Fine, get him a job in janitorial. And it turns out that Tom becomes a janitor. And he does everything he can. And he's apparently one of the best janitors ever. And Dana figures out that Tom is one of his subordinates. And... And, and Tom's one of the spies, and so she gives him a paper and says, "I'm looking for something on my wrist." You know, she 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 makes an excuse that she dropped something and she's trying to find it, and she gives him a paper and like saying, "My grandmother, my mother gave me this." Oh, you, oh, your you mama, your grandmama. Okay, and he looks at the paper and he's like, "M O O," and it says "run" because he's because she's pretty sure that they're on to to them, and he's gonna get in trouble because uh, Julie remembers him. So her remembering him could cause problems. Especially because if she knows she can she's like, he's a good guy, kill him. But it ends where she ends up going to the top floor and she meets Randall Flag. And Randall Flag is very charismatic. He's nice. He tells her, he's like, I know you're a spy. Let's just cut pleasantries. You want something to drink? Here's a beer. Uh and what I want you to do is I want you to just go home. I'll pay for your bike, and that's it. All I got to do is go home, tell him we don't want any problems, and that's it. But I do want you to tell me who the other spy is. She's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I know where the one spy is. One spy is hiding out in the in the mountain somewhere. Hasn't come on yet. But there's one other, and I can't see who they are. And so Dana, being smart, had grabbed a pair of scissors earlier, and she stabs him in the neck. And then he heals up, and then he says, you're going to tell me one way or the other. That was a big mistake. And she knows he's going to kill her. And she kills herself. Instead of telling him the secret, she knows he'll talk. And then he's just like, shit, I don't know what to do now. And this should have been Flag's great moment. Like, this should have developed Flag so much more. And it doesn't. Like, he's a minor note in this episode. Like, the only thing is when you first, quote-unquote, see him, he's on a screen talking to everybody, giving a very Hitler-esque speech about how excess is good this is bad and as he's talking the picture stops and you hear the sound of it still talking but the picture stops and looks at her and smiles because it knows her so he's a malevolent force but i would like to see more of that there should be more with random flag however we have the harold fucking storyline so last episode harold killed uh harold uh and nadine killed his best friend uh, he's dealing with the fallout from that, so he fakes the death, makes it look like he committed suicide, and then he has to act like the friend who's all distraught because he's like, but he was my friend. You, you, couldn't you have just been playing with it and, and messing it up? And because he's depressed and sad, um, he acts depressed and sad. Franny invites him to dinner with her and Stu, and you think, oh, she's being a good friend, which would have been cool, except she immediately goes to Larry and says, Larry... I want you to break into Harold's house while he's at dinner with us. I'll call you when he's here at our house and you break in, find out something. It could be nothing. We don't know because she knows something is up. And Larry reluctantly agrees. Um, So you have Harold show up with a bottle of wine. She calls 
She says, I go to the bathroom, clean up, turns on her radio, calls. Larry says, he's here. You're, it's good to go. And as Larry's about to leave the house, Nadine has shown up. Now, something I didn't talk about is Nadine finally got to talk to Randall Flagg and said, you gave him to me. And he's like, no, I never gave him to you. You to him. I never gave you to him. You know, he's just a, he's just a weapon. You know, you're my what? You're, you're my bride, blah, blah, blah. And he's tempting her and she wants out. Earlier in the day, uh, Joe disappeared and she found Joe with Mama Abigail He's playing the piano, and he's like, oh, we've just been playing music and talking. He's like, he talks to you? He's like, not. There's talking, there's talking. And Mama Abigail, Mother Abigail, tells Nadine, you, you're a good mom. She's like, I'm not his mom. Just watch over him. He's like, no, you chose to do this. Remember, you still have a choice to do things. Like Mama Abigail saying, you can choose to be good or bad. You have to make that choice, though. And, you, and remember, you have that choice until you don't. So she's giving an out for Nadine. And Nadine has figured out that the whole thing is that if she she's kept herself pure for Randall Flagg all these years. Like now she's been doing things with Harold, but she's still not doing that one little thing. So she has gone to Larry, dead of night, pretty much saying, take me now. Well, he's supposed to go break into Harold's house. And Larry's like, he does love her. And he's like, I want, he's like, I want to do this, but I can't not like this because you don't talk like that because she says pretty much, fuck me. And he's like, you don't talk like that. Listen, this might, I mean, say we do this, say it's a mistake. How is that going to affect everything? Because he's thinking the long term. He's doing the right thing. He's like, we do this, this could destroy our relationship. Let's take it slow. But she's like, if we do this, he can't get me, but she can't explain to him that she's destined for Randall Flagg. So it's a whole mess that she can't explain. And by him kindly rejecting her, but not like saying like, let's slow down. She takes it as you don't want me. And this leads to her being like, we're done. This is a hundred percent onside flag. There's no going back at this point. I don't know if she's going to redeem herself, but I think she's like now like a hundred percent, like everyone has to die. But back to uh, Larry, Larry goes to, Harold's house breaks in, looks around, finds a locked door basement, which we know is uh, Lloyd's lab or whatever he's doing down there. He can't get there to look for his keys. He finds Nadine's shirt, so knows something's up there. And then uh, with the dinner party, that goes horribly wrong. Um, after completely kind of freaking out on them, he goes upstairs. Says he said, "Oh, I've been drinking too much. Let me go upstairs, slash water my face." Goes to the bathroom. He says that. He goes in their bedroom. He looks around. And then he looks at a teddy bear. Which, you know, she's pregnant. Teddy bear for the kid. Whatever. He leaves and you have moments of him looking like he's going to kill her. Then smiling really creepily. He goes home at early. And she has to be like, uh, Larry, he's coming home. You got to get out. You got to get out. And it's a very um, race against time. Is he going to make it? Is he going to get caught? He, he ends up knocking over some chess pieces, has to put them right in the back in the right spot. He leaves, and then Harold looks at the chess pieces, knows something is up, and you think, oh, maybe he knows, but he doesn't know what's going on. And the episode ends with that, where you see that one, the teddy bear, has an, it's a nanny cam. So he hears and sees everything going on in the red, in Stu and Franny's house. Second, he has cameras all through the house, so you see him rewinding and watching Larry looking through everything. 
So he's been watching and sitting up everything going on. And the last thing, which is a big pivotal moment of this whole arc, is that Mother Abigail is pissed off. She found out about the spy. She's really pissed about it. She she's, feels really bad. Like, she says, Nick, you're supposed to be the one that, that you're supposed to be better. Why did you do this? And she has figured out that God has kind of cut her off, isn't talking to her. So she doesn't know what to do. The dark man, she can see now, but she can't talk to God. So she decides to leave, go on a kind of a 40-day, 40 40-night 40 pilgrimage to spirit quest to get to start talking to God again and figure out what's going on. And the episode ends where you have her leaving notes saying, don't look for me. I'll come back if I can. Abigail Freeman and Ray finds it and is freaking out because apparently Ray is super devote to, to Mother Abigail. And Ray, I'll be honest, in the book, Ralph is a very well-defined character. Ray just comes across as a lady with a resting bitch face who's like Mother Abigail's bodyguard. They really didn't need to change Ralph into Ray. I mean, if they did this chronologically, they could have had Ralph and, you know, like Ray be uh, the farmer's daughter who survived and does all the stuff like, a, you know, like a farmer girl and go over all those elements and, and be with Nick and be with Tom and just, she, this, that, it just, there's a lot of misca- there's, well, not a lot of miscasting. The only miscasting I see is Ray, because they could have picked a better actress, or they could have given her more to do. More importantly, Lloyd. Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd. They, they, he's, he's supposed to be a guy who becomes an alpha male in this, and he is not. He's, he's coming across as a beta, and it just, it frustrates me greatly. All right. <sighs> Anyway, so th- this one is worth watching once. That's it. Um, after the last two episodes, which were really great, this one was a, a letdown. Uh, next episode, supposedly, we'll be introducing the Trash Can Man. I have no idea what they're going to do because it's Ezra Miller. And Ezra Miller is either okay or he's shit. So, I don't know. I did hear that the kid is going to be played by Marilyn Manson. I hope they kept him in there because that would be kind of cool. But anyway, so yeah. We'll see how that goes. So now let's get to Prodigal Son Season 2, Episode 1. And yeah, so last season ended where you had Malcolm's little sister, Ainsley, killing uh, Endicott. Slicing his neck and Malcolm calming her down and then telling her dad, yeah, um, he takes after you. And and Malcolm, uh, Martin's like, oh, really? Good job to Ainsley. And so it's been six months, opens up where he's walking on a ledge, thinking he's going to kill himself, but he's actually trying to stop a perp. That sequence happens. And he's dealing with severe guilt because he thinks he's like his dad. We're wondering what, what happened. And long story short, the episode, besides the, being the lady who was killed by a guillotine, well, actually she's decapitated, they found it's by a guillotine because it's a perfect cut. There's only one guillotine in New York, owned by a guy who's essentially a reference to Ozzy Osbourne, who made a sex dungeon downstairs. And uh, turns out um, the boyfriend of the girl who got killed is down there because the girl was got all her money by killing her ex-husband and then framed someone. And the person who got framed got murdered, but then they found that that's not the case. And 
long story short, it's a revenge by the judge, uh, by by the executioner who wants to be a good man, and he tries to kill Malcolm because Malcolm is also like the son of a serial killer, and he's acting like a serial killer a little bit because he's kind of going crazy. It's a big fight sequence. Um, they almost catch him, and when they go to catch him, uh, what happens? Oh yeah, so when they go to catch him, uh. JT shows up, and because JT's a man of color, the cops see him, even though he's no longer in his uniform, they see him and they say, put your hands up, we're going to shoot you, and they act threatened by the large black guy, and he ends up getting a scuffle with a lower ranking officer, and he punches the guy out, and afterwards he's freaking out like, oh god, they're going to fire me, they're going to fire me, because he's thinking the solidarity, but the thing is, it's he's a cop. Like it doesn't matter, white, black, he's a cop. And this shows that all the racial tension that's happened since early last year, it's made things worse for police officers of color. And that's a nice development with um, JT. So we have that going on. And he's also trying to be the boss because Gil got stabbed by Endicott. So he's healing up also, found that he's interested in Jessica. But Danny says it's not a good idea, so Gil's going to give up on Jessica. That happens. Oh, also we found out that Dr. Tanaka, she's into BDSM and also, um, I forgot the term for it, but using ropes to tie people up. So yeah, she's into tying people up or being tied up. Kind of cool. I really want her to end up with Malcolm. I think it'd be a nice, they'd be a nice couple. Crazy, but nice. So anyway, going to the end, um, uh, Dr. Whitley, the surgeon, ends up helping out Malcolm with some part of the crime and at the end he exp- he tells Malcolm he shouldn't blame himself for what happened because Malcolm's holding the the grief for what happened it's not because Malcolm said he that his sister killed the guy no Malcolm had to process and get rid of the body and when he was doing it he was enjoying it and he realizes it's not that it's bad it's not that it's hard it's that killing someone is very easy. Hiding someone is very easy. It's just that he was enjoying it, and he's like his, he's thinking he's like his father, and that's going to be a big point, I think, of this season of Malcolm now really fighting between urges. And I know this is very jumbled, but I got to say, great episode. Tom Payne does a great job with this character. Same thing with Michael Sheen, and I got to say, I really enjoy this episode. So, anyway, uh, last thing. The Masked Singer. Who's that? Do, 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 do. Uh, group B playoffs. Those masks don't lie. Like I said, we got three people left. Uh, we had the Zebra, Cotton Candy, Moth, and Sloth. And my front runner is the Sloth. Uh, Cotton Candy is obviously a professional dancer. The Zebra, okay, not great. And the Moth was terrible. And as you can guess, the Moth was kicked out. Uh, and it was Elizabeth Smart. Shocker. I think. I was shocked at that because Elizabeth Smart I have not heard of in years. So, yeah. Okay, episode, not great. Um, so, that's it for this episode. I think, I think I've think i done all the spoilers. Like I said, check out any of our earlier episodes. Email me at zanspiker.com. Let me know what you think. And um, next episode, Greta will be back. I know I didn't talk about the fact that she wasn't on this episode. She's been super busy with work, so I figured I'd give her a break uh, with podcasting for this. So, anyway, hope you guys enjoyed. As usual, I am your host, Zan. I'm Gonzo. Catch you guys next time and keep watching TV. See ya and let me know what you think. Bye.